Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 141, recorded September 26th, 2013. Yep, so today's the 76th 90s episode, and we're covering Next Generation 76 through 78. Yes, quite a coincidence. The first issue is 76 also. Yeah, 76 90s episode, gotcha. <laughs> So, yeah, so uh, we're almost finished with the uh, the 80-issue run that DC did of The Next Generation. Yeah. Yeah, when I, when I grabbed the uh, comics to look at, I, I saw at the end of the uh, list. We're very close. Right. We still got a couple of specials, annuals, and the miniseries Ill Wind. But once that's over, uh, we'll be done with DC for a while. Hmm. Okay. Well, there will be interesting new ones to go on to. New publishers of Delight. Right. Or the return of old ones. Ah. Marvel retaking the uh, Star Trek brand. Cool. Some of us like Mar- Marvel. Who doesn't like Marvel? <sighs> I don't know. Okay. You, you can like both, Ken. You can be a DC fan and a Marvel fan. That's what I've been saying, Mr. DC Donovan. <laughs> Now, now, I, I, I just assume that you're not enamored with DC just because it's you both have the same initials. That is a coincidence, and that's about it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. But uh, anyway, so uh, this is a is this a, this first one's a standalone, right? It's not a continuation from last week. No, it's not. So continuation we get last week. one standalone and then a two-parter. Right. Yes, we get to start off with a little murder mystery. A little murder in space. Well, let's do it. Okay, let's go. We're going to jump right into it. So, this is issue number 76. Title is Suspect. Published date, October 1995. Creative team includes Michael Jan Friedman as writer. Penciler is Ken Shave. Inker, Shepard Hendricks. Colorist, Rick Taylor. Letterer, Phil Felix. Editor, Margaret Clark. The cover shows Picard and six of the main TNG characters posing for a photo on the transporter pad. Everyone is looking towards the reader and smiling, except for Worf, who is distracted by Spot the Cat, who is trying to scramble out of Data's arms. The text on the cover says, Appearances can be deceiving. It's located at the bottom of the cover. The story opens on the starship Bradbury where Chief Engineer Charles Logan, former Chief Engineer of the Enterprise, is exercising alone on doctor's orders. A fit blonde woman in workout clothes approaches him. Startled, Logan reproaches her for sneaking up on him. She says she did not intend to frighten him, and rather says she admires how he can run such an efficient Starship Engineering Department. Taken off guard by the compliment, he allows her to move closer. Unexpectedly, she begins to attack him, and rather efficiently breaks his neck. She leaves the gym with Logan's bent, deceased form on the floor. Scene cuts to the Enterprise briefing room. Picard and his senior staff are assembled and listening to Regina Campisi, a Starfleet special investigator. She has been re counting the death of Charles Logan to Picard and his people. She goes on to say they suspect Lieutenant Farrell of the murder of not only Logan, but also Terence Argyle and Sarah McDougall, who are both former Enterprise chief engineers. The only evidence against her is circumstantial in that she was aboard each of the ships when and where the murders took place. If the pattern continues, Geordi is the likely next target, and Farrell did come aboard a little over a week ago. Geordi says Farrell has been a strong performer since she came aboard, and even called her personable and fun. 
Worf and Troy volunteered to aid in getting the evidence required to base a court-martial on, preferably prior to Geordi's death. Troy will use her abilities to read Farrell's emotions, looking for any unusual emotional states. Investigator Campisi thanks them for their offer of help and says she can use all the help she can get. Barkley is working with Farrell in engineering and asks about Geordi's hobbies and personal interests. Partway through Barkley's reply, Geordi enters engineering and asks Farrell to get back to her duties. Geordi asks Barkley what they were talking about and Reg tells him. That cinches it. As far as Geordi is concerned, he now believes she is the murderer. Farrell is called to Troy's office. Elsewhere on the ship, Investigator Campisi is having coffee with Riker. They know each other from Academy days, and he invites her to dinner. She declines, saying that until the murderer is caught, everyone is under suspicion, including Riker. Undaunted, Riker says, then after the investigation is over? Riker, you dog, you. Picard is in his office speaking to Captain Ricks of the USS Thomas Paine. Ricks confirms that Lieutenant Farrell was a model officer and well-liked. Lieutenant Farrell arrives in Troy's office. Farrell thinks it's a normal meeting with the ship's counselor that all new crewmen go through. The meeting is uneventful on the surface, and Farrell states how she is getting along with everyone quite well as usually is the case for her. Later, Troy tells Captain Picard that Farrell seems like a normal, well-adjusted person. There was an emotional blip when Troy mentioned Geordi's name, but that did not seem to be hatred or anything related to murder. Investigator Campisi says she does not like the sound of an emotional blip related to Geordi, and that people can learn to fool lie detectors and even Betazoid's ability to read emotions. She wants to set a trap with Geordi as bait. Picard does not like the sound of that, but in the end, he relents. Later, Picard goes to engineering to find LaForge and ends up overhearing Farrell asking questions about Geordi to another officer named Harris. Picard interrupts the conversation, but hears enough to raise his suspicions of Farrell several more notches. He wonders to himself whether Commander Capisi might be right after all. Meanwhile, Riker joins Campisi in 10 forward on a non-professional basis. They flirt, and Riker brings up the time in the past when they found themselves rooming together back in their old cadet days. They both talked about the rigors of duty, and Campisi says she will take some time off after this case. Elsewhere on a holodeck, Geordi is dressed in a bathing suit and he steps onto a pristine beach with no one else about, or so he thinks. Farrell steps out of the bushes towards Geordi, but just behind her is another blonde woman in a Starfleet uniform. She steps out armed with a phaser. Farrell was trying to stop another death. She recognized the pattern and figured LaForge would be next. She transferred to the Enterprise to stop the next death, but now both she and Geordi are likely to die. The blonde woman with the phaser steps out of the shadows and exposes her true identity. Geordi shouts, It's Campisi! She explains that though she looks like Campisi, her real name is Tanya Santu. Though she is human, she was raised on planet Zorta, where stealth is a tradition and a fine art. She goes on to explain her adoptive father was supposed to be chief engineer of the Enterprise when it left the Utopia fleet yards. But instead, Sarah McDougall got the job and broke her father's heart. Eventually he killed himself, and her adoptive mother went insane. She began her killing spree with McDougall that brought Campisi onto her trail. She killed Campisi and took over her identity. As an investigator, she could easily have a reason to get onto the Enterprise and kill LaForge. She stops her very convenient explanation of what she likes to do for a hobby. She says LaForge is the last of those who would usurp her father's rightful role. 
Time to die, Mr. LaForge. But before she can pull the trigger, she is shot by a phaser beam. Riker and Worf come out of the bushes and apologize for cutting it so close, but they really did need to get her full confession before they took her down. Later in 10 Forward, Riker is having a drink with Deanna, Geordi, and Lieutenant Farrell. Riker explains that it was the killer's comment about the beauty of the colors in a wormhole that they were passing by that gave her away. The real Campisi is colorblind, so she could not have appreciated the beautiful colors of a wormhole. Farrell says she thinks she will stay put on the Enterprise for a while, now that her self-appointed mission is over, if it's okay with her boss, LaForge. Geordi says it sure is, and as long as he is in charge of engineering, she will be welcome, which will be for a long time. <laughs> the end. Edge of the, my seat, that one. Whew. Yes. Yes. So, those of you that may not have the comic book itself, uh, both Campisi and Farrell both have blonde hair, although Campisi does have uh, strawberry blonde, you know, a little bit more red in her hair. Right. To me, she looks, her hair color looks like um, Crushers, so it's kind of the orangey right. blonde. Right. So, they kind of threw you off. Um, and, and another thing, if you saw the visual in the book... As soon as they show in the shadows the person who murdered uh, the first engineer, the next panel shows Farrell, and she's got the exact same color hair in a, in a similar pose to the murderess. So they definitely put you on the track that it's Farrell, but, you know. Then when you see Campisi, who is also blue-eyed, uh, you know, blondish hair, um, you know, hmm. Right, but since she is a shapeshifter of some sort, it kind of makes sense why maybe her hair color would be different from the time she killed uh, Lynch to the time, or uh, Logan to the time that she killed, tried to kill LaForge. Right. However, um, I mean, she's not a real shapeshifter. Uh, Master uh, of Disguise. Master of Disguise, yeah. So maybe she's got a wig or something going, I don't know, but... Um, definitely in the long-winded explanation, which I did not give all of it, yes, I actually did cut that down a little bit. Uh, she <laughs> explains, just, just, in, just goes all over the place explaining all the, all the, all the unlikely stuff she had to go through. So she's got relatives or friends or somebody back home that can do plastic surgery and alter her appearance. Right. Very handy. Very handy. So... I didn't really care for that part. I I, uh, I don't buy that she could she could mimic the real Capizzi uh, right. so so uh, detailed in in their backgrounds and everything that she can have a conversation with Riker about the good old days and him not catch okay. on. But the whole colorblind thing is what oh. gives her away. Yeah. Which of all the things they can cure in the future. Color blindness isn't going to be one of them. I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> so, so does she have a an allergic reaction to whatever cures color blindness in the future, like Kirk has to Retinex, whatever or whatever right. that stuff was? Exactly. But th- but they can cure real blindness. Jordy able to see just fine, maybe even better than we. Well, do. but yeah, uh, but he's got that contraption on his face. For now, at least at this point, <laughs> right? I'm just saying that uh, I, I thought. I agree. I was thinking the same thing. I, I wish they would have, you know, he's like really grilling her about their time, you know, yeah. at Starfleet Academy or whatever. Nothing she said there could have given her away that made him suspicious. Yeah. Uh, but maybe that was too obvious. Maybe. So who knows? Maybe that, oh, that would be too obvious. So let's do something else. Right. It's just I wish you could have done something else that didn't kind of smack of something you could cure in the future. But. <laughs> Not only that, right. uh, female color blindness is supposed to be really rare, and they do mention it in the in the book, but still. Right. Yeah, I didn't know. I, I guess I didn't know that men were more susceptible to color blindness than women. Indeed. I remember when we were in school. You know, we had to take those color blindness tests where it's the, you know, the picture with the dots and what letter or what number do you see right. in these dots? Right. Uh, I mean, we all took it, so. I guess they test everybody, but uh, 
I didn't know that uh, males were more susceptible. Yes. Interesting. Exactly. So I've met a few people that are colorblind that were males, but I've never met a female, at least not knowingly. Right. That isn't the kind of thing you say, hey, I'm Joe Blow, or I'm Josine Blow, and I'm colorblind. You know? <laughs> I think most people don't mention that. Right, until you get to know them a little better. Exactly. Right. So you know which part I like most in this comic? And then I'll shut up and let you talk. Uh, no, what? The space above and beyond ad at the bat, at the end. Well, that's pretty bad when the uh, advertisement is your favorite part. Well, I really like that show. I never did watch it. It came yeah. on around the same time as Firefly, right? Or a little before? <clears throat> I thought it was before, but... Yeah, I... it must have been way before. Yeah, so it was Which... done... Actually, it came on around the time of X-Files. So, uh, the crea- like it says in the ad, from the, from the producers of X-Files. Um, and it was a sci-fi show. It was a, you know, space battle. But it was good, though? Yeah, I mean, it had its imperfections. But it was really... I, I enjoyed it. And some episodes I thought were perfect. Really good. But uh, not on par with Star Trek, right? Well, of course not. <laughs> well, of course not. And the funny thing is, they kept pushing at you these the, the squadron of young, hot fighters. You know, like five or so characters. Mm-hmm. All young, hot fighter people. And really, the mo- by far the most interesting character was uh, their commanding officer, McQueen. He was by far more interesting than any of those young putzes. Is that right? right? Yeah, but most and, – and the episodes that focused on the commanding officer were far more interesting than the ones that were focused on those other guys. Eh, my comment. Did it last more than one year? No. Oh. No. Yeah. Well, it is on Fox. They don't really give them much chance to breathe. No, they don't. Before they pull the plug. Yes, like on Family Guy. And The Tick. At least the family t- guy. Oh, the tick. At least the family guy got to come back. The tick. Yeah. Steal oh. DOA. Yeah. So uh, DVD sales or something like that were really good for Family Guy. Anyway, so back to Star Trek. Um, Can I mention my comment? Oh sure. It was really basically the only one I had. Yeah. <laughs> but so I personally, when I read that McDougal and Argyle were dead mm-hmm. already yes. off screen, mm-hmm. I. I actually felt a little blow that, you know, oh, these two characters are, are gone. They're yeah. really dead. Uh, I did think it was a little weird that Argyle died again because uh, <laughs> there was a novel by um, Peter David called Vendetta where right. the board come and ad- attack again. And Argyle dies in that, <laughs> which Plus came out one. before this book. So, right. Plus you know. one of, actually, one of the comics we read, Argyle was in it and died. Or was that a parallel uh, dimension? Did he actually die? He died. He got blown out and open he, a rip in the uh, in the ship. Oh, that's right. You're right. You're right. You're right. It was the Borg again, fighting? a Borg episode. Was that a Borg one? Yeah, yeah. it was when uh, the worst of both worlds when um, when they ended up trying to help the um, the battle oh, right. bridge. The other. That's right. That's right. right. So in the other dimension where the Borg was. Argyle came back into it. He was on the um, yep. he was on the alternate dimension Enterprise. Yep. D. Yep. Right. right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Again, another dimension. But I'm just saying. I'd actually so he keeps about he keeps too. dying. <laughs> I think he picked the wrong profession. Right. So, but when you know McDougal, Argyle, and Logan uh, died, I was like, well, that, that's kind of surprised. And then the next person there she's targeting is LaForge. And it got me wondering, what about uh, what about Lynch? You know, because that first season of of Next Generation, they went through like four chief engineers. I know, was that weird? On. But you know, Lynch was in a couple, at least a couple episodes. I think I know that he was in the one where uh, Yar dies. Yeah, is that Skin of Evil? Skin of Evil, yes. Yeah, Pep that was the monster kills her. But I know that he was the chief engineer in that one. Uh, he may have been in other episodes, but he's not even mentioned. Hmm. <laughs> Somehow he gets a pass on getting killed by this uh, this crazy woman. Yeah, I wonder why. I guess they just figured, hey, too many. Let's <laughs> not. So, Somehow three seems to be enough. But uh, yeah, I was I was actually kind of kind of saddened that uh, McDougal and and Argyle out. Uh, you know, all those characters were asa- around for such a brief amount of time. And it was first season, right. which was not my favorite season. 
So I didn't go back to those shows as much, those episodes. And uh, right. I didn't really invest that much personally. Right. I, I liked McDougal because she was in that uh, The Naked Now or The Naked Time, whichever one the Next Generation version was. Right. And for whatever reason, I kind of I liked her. I liked having right. you know a woman in command. Uh, you know, you know, we will we'll, we won't see that again until uh, you know, Torres. Beverly. Well, I'm talking about in command of the engineering. Oh, engineering. Because usually right. it's all men in engineering. You don't sure. ever see women. Men, McDougal men, was men, the exception. Men, men. Yep. Uh, and then you know Argyle I liked because he's in that you know he was in that miniseries the the first six issues of the Next Generation miniseries. Um, mm-hmm. So I kind of liked him because of all his adventures in that series. So those two chief engineers, I had a personal connection with them. There you go. Cool. Lynch and They're Logan, not, cool. not so much. They're just footnotes that I knew who they right. were, but uh, I didn't buy it. Not invested. Yeah. So, anyways, that was my only comment. <laughs> I don't really have a lot to say. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, my last comment is the cover has nothing to do with the story in the book. Yeah, it's just a cover you could see on a on a Blu-ray disc or something. Mm, yes. <laughs> yes. Just a generic thing. Hey, here's the whole team, or the main, you know, the A team, the the main characters. Uh, and of course, the standout is Jordy and his bright white smile. He is a happy dude. Dude, is he happy? I mean, he's got the biggest smile going, and he looks like he's about to take kids on, by the hand for an adventure on the Reading Rainbow. <laughs> right. He he looks very uh, jolly. Let's go. With that. <laughs> right. Everybody else is smiling pretty much, but conservative. You know, the, the, the lips are closed, and Jordy's like, wow, pearly brights, <laughs> pearly bright whites. All right. Right. Yep. I I thought the same thing. Yeah. All right. Anything else? That's all I have to say. Let's get to the next one. All right, the next one. So this is uh, part one of a two-parter. Issue 77 came out in November of 1995. Uh, the writing, the art staff is a little different, so I'll just read through all of it. Michael Jan Friedman is the writer, Gordon Purcell, penciler, Terry Pallet, inker, Chris Elalopoulos is the letterer, Rick Taylor, colorist, and Margaret Clark, editor. So it's entitled Gateway, and the cover has a caption that uh, does not match the title, and it states, Opening Salvo. So the uh, art on the cover shows a blonde woman with close-cropped hair, Standing with clenched fist and a grimace on her face. She's she's angry and she's looking straight at the reader. She might be angry at you. I don't know. What'd you do to her? Anyways, behind her, uh, we see an image of Picard and he's looking calm and collected as always. Uh, to the right of the woman, we see Jordy and a redheaded man who we will later learn is McRob. And or Archie. At- <laughs> Is that what you called him before? Probably. Yes. Uh, yeah, so uh, McRob was a reoccurring character in the first, you know, four, six issues of the Next Generation comic book. Uh, so we haven't seen him in a very long time. So he's making a comeback. This is his return. Just as a note, uh, all the Starfleet personnel here on the cover are wearing their Season 7 uniforms, except for McRob, who's wearing uh, the Generations um, Deep Space Nine overalls. Behind the Starfleet personnel, kind of towards the top, we see the Enterprise-D, an alien craft of some sort, and another Federation ship, and the this, this other ship, which kind of looks like a Intrepid ship, but a little different. Uh, seems to be sucked into a wormhole of some sort. So we'll get into that later. The story starts off with the Enterprise being assigned to investigate a large mass of Tetrion particles that are engulfing an abandoned space station. The crew discuss that these Tetrion particles are identical to the ones that they experienced in the 6th season episode schisms before too long another federation starship arrives and this is the uss hornet captain by a woman named nora hagler she claims that she too was assigned to investigate this phenomenon 
And she basically chalks it up to oversight at Starfleet Command assigning two ships to one phenomenon. Picard welcomes her uh, help, and uh, she and her chief engineer, McRob, beam over. The two crews meet in the briefing room. McRob is catching up with everybody on the Enterprise crew since, uh, he, like I said, he was a crew member back during the Season 2 issues of this series. Uh, the events of the episode Schisms is discussed some more, mainly how that, is- that episode dealt with some interdimensional aliens and how they were sent back to their own galaxy, but uh, not before they were able to release a Tetrion energy uh, probe of some sort. Um, at the time, everyone thought that this was just an exploratory probe, so that they could study this whole new galaxy, but perhaps it was more than that. The uh, fear is that these particles are eating away at the station uh, could actually be the, that probe. Picard orders the two ships to observe the particles for now, but to be ready if they pose any type of threat. After the meeting, McRob and Jordy catch up some more. McRob is now the proud father of three children. Jordy discusses Picard's recent visit to a possible future where he, Jordy, uh, is also going to be a father. He does not know if he will ever find the woman that will be the future mother of his children, uh, but, uh, you know, he's hopeful. In the captain's ready room, Picard has a private discussion with Hagler. He calls her on her story, stating that he knows that she is the sister of Lieutenant Hagler, who died on the Enterprise during the Schism episode. She comes clean, stating that she came on her own, and that she just needed to see the aliens that killed her brother. She assures Picard that she will not allow her grief to overwhelm her. Picard agrees to let her stay aboard. Later in engineering, McRob and Jordy find a trail to a nearby system that looks like the probe. They fire up the engines and head out to investigate. A short time later, they find an alien craft dragging what must be the alien probe by a tractor beam. The Hornet ignores Picard's orders and attacks the craft. The ship is able to dodge the shot without any type of damage. Another alien craft, identical to the first one, arrives and snatches up the probe from the first ship. Though these two ships look identical, the crew speculate that they are actually trying to keep the probe from the other one. The Hornet continues to try and attack either ship. She never hits any of the ships, but she does strike the probe. Uh, This causes a wormhole-type gateway to open up, and one of the alien craft, along with the Hornet, is sucked into it. To be continued. They've lost the ship, but what about McRob's family? Yeah. Damn. That's, that's how the next story starts off. So but yes, that is quite sad. His yes. three little ones and his wife. Yeah, and it definitely does underscore the, as if, you know, Wolf 359 and the death of Cisco's wife doesn't underscore it. You really got to think about things before you try to raise a family on a starship. Right. Yep. It's a dangerous place out there. It's a dangerous universe, darn it. So, you do remember Mick Robb, right? Oh, uh, I remember it. Yes, I definitely remember him from previous um, issues. Issues. Right. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember his wife, the the one that was, she was kind of witchy. <laughs> basically saying how he'll never live up to you know his fa- his father and his grandfather and I remember we didn't like her when we were reading those stories right and then he proves himself by saving Worf against right. the robot tentacle things right <laughs> and then and then but, they uh, have kids I guess shortly after that uh, within the next four years they crank out three kids exactly so think about the huge amount of confidence he had after <laughs> becoming the hero <laughs> yeah. out of my way I'm going to be conceiving some children because <laughs> exactly. I'm a man exactly <laughs> okay <laughs> I didn't think about that but sure yeah. mm. anyways I thought it was nice to bring him back yes yeah I thought it was fine I mean I just really, I really didn't think about him the f- much the first time he just seemed like a really wimpy guy 
So and and you know he got a backbone by the end of the previous story. So right, it's like you know, he was okay. I mean, uh, Barkley when he was first introduced didn't seem to have a huge number of redeeming qualities, but I still liked him. McRob, I I just don't know if I ever really liked him mm. as a character. But it's nice well, having him back. Well, since they're bringing back old characters, I'm really hoping for a uh, Bickley return. Bickley, <laughs> Bickley. For issue uh, seventy nine and eighty. You remember the Bickleys? Yes, arguing Bickleys. Yes, with their bickering capes. Bickleys, with their the, capes. Oh my the god! Bickering Bickleys who wore capes. Sit there at the chair with capes on. <laughs> <laughs> and they're the only ones. Though so, yes, they were the only ones. <laughs> that was ridiculous. I Sorry. hope they come back. <laughs> I want to see more cape action. That's something I've always missed in this comic. Not enough cape action. Right. So anyway, so um, this story really relies that you have seen the Schisms episode. Yes. And they never actually call it out by name in this issue. Right. So in the next issue, they do a little asterisk and say, oh, this is the events of Schisms. But never in this issue do they mention that. You're just supposed to know. Right. Yeah, but they – I mean they, they described what the uh, Solanogen right. uh, aliens or whatever – you know, it's like, and then they described it. So it's like I didn't remember the the, the schisms was the title of that episode, but it was a creepy ex- episode. I kind of like that episode. You right. know, alien abduction thing, and it can even happen on the Enterprise. It can even happen to Riker. It was like I kind of like that episode. Uh, right. It seemed a little far fetched, but it was like kind of scary. It's like you know they can get at you, even in a starship. And and the I thought the makeup was pretty good on those the yeah. the fish face looking people. Right. So, yeah, I, I I like that they're making reference to an issue or an episode. Yeah. Excuse me. Right. But um, yeah, why not reuse a, a good character? Yeah. A good alien heavy. Instead of just relying on Q every every other month. <laughs> right, Q or the Borg or Klingons. Jeez. Ooh, don't even get me started. <laughs> <laughs> So this Pro- Promelian space station, are they a member of the Federation or something? Because that space station reminded me, I mean, there were differences, but it looked a lot like, like Federation stations I've seen. Yeah, it looked exactly like one. Yeah. I mean, some of the color, I mean, there were some parts at the bottom that were different colored, and and there might have been some small differences here and there. But other than that, it looked like, like a Federation one. Right. Yeah, it looked like something from Star Trek Three or something. Yeah. Right, especially, right, that internal hangar thing at the top. Right. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, uh, yeah, I don't know. How how do they know that it was going to be there, and how do they, I mean, it just happens to be an abandoned space station. I don't know. There was a lot to, to just go with right on those right. first two pages. Yeah, I agree. But I just went with it. <laughs> and I yeah, pretty much enjoyed it from there. <laughs> I, I liked the uh, the ship design of this this other ship. I mean, it kind of looks like a the Hornet. Yeah, I thought it looked like a um, you know like Voyager and I, a little like Intrepid Voyager. type ship, right? But with yeah, a little bit more like somewhere between Voyager and the Enterprise. So right. it's or maybe uh, an ambassador class ship because it's got a round saucer section, mm-hmm. pretty round, fairly large one too. Uh, right, but the nacelles are pretty much even with the engineering section, right? Which is very Voyager esque. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, it's different. I've never. I don't know what kind of class that ship's supposed to be. Me neither. First time I've seen it. Quite that shape. But thought it was I thought it was kind of a cool design. Yeah. Of course not, not as good as the Enterprise D. You know, Galaxy Class. Galaxy Class, come on. But yes, it was interesting. <laughs> so now I, I gotta say, I know I mentioned the Archie thing when you were explaining things earlier, but when McRob s- says he's got three kids mm-hmm. and he's got like like three of his fingers up, and yep. he's just smiling. He's beaming. It's like, oh my God, it's Archie. What do he's you have got, against Archie? 
He's got the little freckles and everything, and he's got the, you know, blondie, whatever, reddish, maybe a little bit of red, I don't know. Mostly blonde, though. Kind of hair. And I just, he just looks like Archie. You just don't like Archie. No, I don't. I, I've always found that comic to be boring. But, whatever. Hey, Archie went up against the Punisher, so <laughs> let's not, let's not yeah. just dismiss him. Excuse me. With the letter letter sweater and everything, he goes up against the Punisher. Wow, that's impressive. He did in the uh, the Archie Punisher crossover. <laughs> that's like that's like that old Mickey Mouse uh, Hulk cro- crossover. It's like yeah, yeah. I've never heard of the Mickey Mouse Hulk crossover. Is that a real thing? No, oh. but it sounds about as logical as an Archie. So obviously, that was for laughs. Uh, no, it was because Marvel was going bankrupt and they were taking any type of boost in sales they could get at the time. <laughs> Everybody forgets that in the 90s, Marvel was really hurting. And wow. uh, and they did a lot of intercompany crossovers and they had uh, – and Archie was one of them. Wow. That's something. <laughs> Now, it wouldn't, over, it you, wouldn't happen now, now that they're owned by Disney and they're making billion-dollar movies every other month. But, yeah. you know, well, 90s was not kind. The the only way I would be survive, I would be I would be happy with an Archie Punisher crossover is just if the Punisher just absolutely pummels him with bullets, <laughs> riddles the body like James Caan <laughs> in The Godfather. That's what I'd want to see. That That would be worth buying. You are harsh. <laughs> I, I just never understood that comic. I well, did not understand the, the allure of it. How it could be in production, for, in print, as long as it was. It's one of the, It still is. It's one of the longest running, longest running uh, comics out there. Gee, Veronica, do you think you'd go to the prom with me? Jeez. <laughs> You must be kidding me. Uh, Are yes. they still in high school? Have they left high school? Well, they keep rebooting it every few years. Okay. So. <laughs> Can we buy the Star Trek, please? <laughs> uh, sure. All right. So, uh, well, yeah, what about this issue? Yeah, I thought it was I, – I, I thought the whole – the whole idea that the uh, that the one Sulagen ship goes into the wormhole with and, and, and is able to grab the horned in with it. Mm-hmm. I thought that was I thought that was really contrived. Um, uh, it's like are they I mean and how could they operate so well in our universe? It's like we have all well well we won't whatever. know that until next issue. I know I know I'm just <laughs> I'm just asking how does their technology so much better than ours and uh, and they're able to suck the hornet in. Just right. asking. And yeah, and in relationship to that, um, I mean, I didn't really buy that. Uh, what's her name? Um, Hagel, not Hagel. What is her Captain name? Captain ha- Hagler. Hagler. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, she's really off the deep end. That she, she is. She's. Yeah. And, and you know, she's I understand. Re- it's her brother. She's driven by revenge. But it just seems. I mean, she's like taking. Huge risks and foolish risks with her crew, with her crew and, and her families. crew's families. Exactly. Yeah. I'm saying I'm thinking the same thing. I'm like, okay, I get it that she wants revenge, but whew, she is, she is off the deep like, end. Yeah, just guns, guns a blazing. Yeah, which is too bad because she's pretty hot in most uh, panels. <laughs> Not yeah, all, but most. Can't have a crazy, a crazy hot woman. They, they no, <laughs> of course not. All right. Uh, that's actually my last comment. That yeah, I don't have any more either. She was a little reckless. Very reckless. Very driven by revenge. And that's very not Starfleet, especially captains that have a solemn responsibility to their crew. All right. And just one last thing. I lied. I have one more thing. The cover. Yes. Um, I mean, since you mentioned that she's kind of hot, mm-hmm. I-, I enjoy the cover. She looks good there. Oh, she's she is fit. That is a very form-fitting uh, outfit she's got. Right. But man, does she look unhappy. Good point about 
McRobb being in the uh, the Voyager uniform because I did not spot that at all. Yeah, and he wears it throughout the whole thing. It's not just the cover. I, yeah. I only mentioned it on the cover, but right. Um, yeah, he he wears that the whole time. So, I, and I was trying to remember. Um, nowhere in in the seventh season of of Next Generation did Jordy wear that? Did he? I know that in Generations he wears. He, they all wear that uniform in Generations, and I think right. he had like a short sleeve version or something like that uh, at some point. Or maybe I'm thinking of O'Brien that had a short sleeve version of their uniform. Like rolled it up or something? Or actually no, it actually was just a short sleeve. Hmm. But I think that was yeah, actually maybe. O'Brien. But but anyways, I don't remember Jordy ever wearing that except for in Generations. Yeah, I don't – I didn't remember – the seventh season, I haven't seen those in a while. Right. Did, did they did so? Did any of them actually wear that uniform in the series? I don't think so. I right, think the only right. time they wore it was in Generations. Generations but then I was right. I was just trying to think of why this this uh, security or this chief engineer would wear that. And his captain agree. is wearing the seventh season. Everybody, yeah. right? I think even in the next issue where we see uh, more of the crew of the Hornet, I, I don't remember anybody wearing that style uniform, but. Maybe there, maybe there is, and I just didn't notice it. Let's find out. Let's find out. Okay, so we are going to go on to issue number 78. Title is The Unconquered, December 1995. The production folks are all the same, so I'm not going to repeat it. The cover shows Riker and Worf entering a room and looking distressed over what they see in that room. What appears to be a hooded alien with a claw for a right hand, is standing over a short, blonde-haired Starfleet officer, probably Captain Hagler, who is unconscious on a pile of rubble. The text at the top of the page says, The Unconquered. The story opens as the Hornet is being sucked into the vortex created by the Solanogen aliens. Picard orders the Enterprise into the vortex also, but it closes too quickly, trapping the Hornet on the other side with one of the alien ships. The Enterprise still has the second alien ship in our dimension to deal with. McGrob enters the bridge with Geordi and sees the Hornet drawn in and the gateway closing. He freaks out, screaming, My family's on that ship! Geordi consoles him and helps him get a grip. Picard tells Worf to hail the remaining alien ship. The channel is open, but only a shadowy figure is displayed and virtually no audio comes across. Worf reports our communication systems must be incompatible. The words that do come across are untranslatable by the Universal Translator, which makes it somewhat less universal. Troy tries to read the alien and comes up with an impression of sincerity and sympathy. A distinct feeling of urgency as if events are spinning out of their control. Data conjectures that the alien ships were here to collect the probe. He takes it to the next step, saying that the probe must have collected important information for them, perhaps telling them something about something that they are searching for, something not obtainable in their dimension. Based on their capture-the-flag behavior, Data conjectures the first ship that was uh, still in our dimension tried to keep the probe away from the second ship, perhaps some kind of division in their society, or at least a difference of opinion. The second ship gave up on the probe when they, could, when they were able to take the Hornet and her crew back, perhaps to extract information from them. They figure they need to get on the other side as fast as possible, since the other ship with the Hornet in tow is probably traveling far away from the gateway. Jordy comes up with an idea to use an anti-graviton pulse created by the ship's deflector dish to open the gateway. McRob comes up with a way to implement it faster. On the other side of the gateway, the Hornet comes under attack by the aliens. In this dimension, the Hornet systems do not work quite right. Phasers don't have the same destructive impact, and propulsion is minimal. The alien ship turns and fires its weapons, and they work just fine. Eventually, the Hornet shields are down, and the ship starts taking damage. With the shields down, the Hornet is boarded. 
The bridge crew is stunned into unconsciousness. When they come to, the aliens are on board, talking gibberish and pointing to a computer console. The captain and a crewman figure out they want to access the ship's databanks. Hagler refuses, assuming that by giving them any data at all, it will compromise all of the Alpha Quadrant, and perhaps beyond. The aliens begin roughing her up, but Hagler remains defiant. Just then, through the gateway, comes the second alien ship and the Enterprise-D star drive section. The second alien ship takes on the aggressive alien ship, while Riker leads an away team to the Hornet's bridge, where sensors are picking up alien life forms. A fight ensues in the close quarters of the Hornet's bridge, and when it's all over, the boarding aliens are captured. However, Captain Haggard is, Hagler is down with a bleeding wound to her abdomen. Before she dies, she tells Riker that Picard was right. She was driven by revenge to the point of recklessness. Riker tells her that in the end, she stopped an invasion. Riker sets the captain's dead body down. Data points out that Riker omitted to tell her that their unexpected alien allies rendered her sacrifice unnecessary. Riker just says, yes, he knows. Riker reports to Picard the aliens are in custody, and McRobb's family is just fine. Picard opens a channel to their alien allies and attempts to thank them for their aid. Without it, they would not have been able to rescue the Hornet. They still don't understand each other's speech, but Troy is able to tell they are happy that they were able to be of help. The aliens apparently have a strong feeling of justice, and it was served today. The aliens project a graviton beam which opens up the gateway. The Enterprise and Hornet pass through it to the Alpha Quadrant. Picard orders photon torpedoes to fire at the anomaly from which the gateway formed. The torpedoes do their job and destroy the anomaly. Riker and Picard acknowledge that they still don't know what the radical aliens wanted in our dimension. Though this gateway is destroyed, there is nothing to stop the Solanogen-based aliens from coming through somewhere else. They hope that the more civilized elements of their society are able to prevail again in the future should the radicals try again. Since the aliens can pop into our dimension virtually anywhere, they must remain vigilant. Least more good people, like Captain Hagler, are lost. Jordy sees McRobb off in the transporter room. McRobb says he hopes this incident does not put Jordy off on starting a family of his own. Jordy says it won't, but in his personal log later, he records that he will not be starting a family until his ship-going days are done, which will be a long time from now. The end. That's the danger of knowing what your future is supposed to be. Exactly. You then try to make it happen. Exactly. So I didn't go into the details of this, but yes. Again, they're talking again about Jordy seeing in the future that he is going to be a dad eventually. Right. So should you make that happen? Should you do things to make it happen because you know it's going to happen? Or should you just let things go? Or maybe it was really you trying to make it happen, which made it happen. And if you just don't try to make it happen because you think you'll force things, it won't happen. Yeah. <laughs> right. I do like how, you know, these last, you know, five or six issues, Michael Jen Freeman's been playing around with that idea with, you know, Beverly worried. What is yep. she going to say when Picard proposes? Mm-hmm. Jordy trying to write the great American novel. Right. Um, so I, I enjoyed that, and, and I enjoyed the, the references here. Yeah. Because it would kind of blow your mind if you found that out. Yep. So she dies, Hagler. Yes, she does die. Yes, and so her folly of letting her emotions and her revenge get away from her almost kills her crew but luckily just kills her. Right. That's better. So can I uh, be honest with you and uh, tell you what my main concern about her dying was? What? And, you know, forgive me for being, you know, <laughs> has nothing to do with Star Trek, really. Okay. But uh, 
when she died, mm-hmm. I was wondering. I wonder how that would work with her, with her soul going to heaven. Because <laughs> I was like, oh, she's, in a, she's in another dimension. So do souls still make it to heaven if they're in another dimension that they're normally not supposed to be in? <laughs> ah, that's interesting. I, I really paused reading it and gave that some considerable thought that, uh, <laughs> you know, if there was souls and if they did go to heaven and you go to a dimension you're not supposed to be in and actually die, would you still make it to the right heaven? Or would you go to the alternate dimension heaven? Well, that's too confusing. <laughs> maybe all of it is God's creation, including the other dimensions. That's that was the other scenario I was coming up with, but, but I just thought it was funny that of all things for me to actually ponder on. <laughs> That's at, the first thing pops that, in. That was the thing, and I and I, like I said, I actually put the book down and was like really giving that one a lot of thought. Hmm. <laughs> And then you had to think, oh, this isn't reality. Oh, okay. This is a comic book. I think I'll go and get a Popsicle. Yeah. <laughs> Not only is it a comic book, but it's a comic book that, uh, you know, kind of enforces an atheist view on religion anyway, so I shouldn't really think about it too hard. Right. Right. So, anyways, I, I just I, – I thought I would throw that out there because, you know. So. Well, speaking of the afterlife, uh, at the end – of the story on page 23, uh, Riker says, we'll see each other again soon, I hope. And he says that in reference to Captain Hagler, I think. Right. So, um, so he's getting pretty emotional about her dying. Uh, I mean, she is hot and everything, and Riker does like that, but it's like, um, I just thought it was a little bit strong. Right. And, 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 it, and obviously he's talking about the afterlife. You know, so maybe that's what got me to thinking about it. I don't know. Maybe, maybe. that sounds a little bit religious for the secular, uh, typically uh, non, you know, non-religious uh, Star right. Trek you know, Star Trek universe. Which is one of my big beefs about the the Star Trek universe. Yeah. Well, I mean, I kind of get it. You can't tailor it to one religion or another without alienating somebody. But right. Sometimes I think they're a little heavy-handed, and it, you know, it's all mumbo jumbo. And us sophisticated twenty-fourth century people know better. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least they had that one episode of um, Voyager, where by the end of the episode, Janeway was uh, questioning that position. I don't remember that one. Yeah, it was a whole thing that really actually kind of talked a lot about religion. But of course, that's one episode. Out right. of all of them. And then, of course, you know, the Bajorans are extremely religious people. So right. in Deep Space Nine... Which are Nine, often depicted as backwards and superstitious. Yes. Yes. Yes, but at least they're <laughs> acknowledging, you know, some religion there. But yes, you're right. Yep, you're right. Yeah, I think I said in this previous one, but I think the, the, the threat posed by these aliens is really creepy. So... I, I, I like the idea that they can take you in your sleep, even in a starship, and you don't know. Which they don't really do in this issue. No, this, no. These issues, but that episode, yes. But but they do harken back to the idea at at the end, like, oh, we need to be even more vigilant, you know. And what was that whole thing about, oh, we need to be careful not to do a certain thing, which, like... Makes it easier for the Selenogen aliens to come across. Well, that's I, how they came across. I don't across remember them. that. Yeah, that's how they came across in that first episode. Schisms. So that's... Yeah. Okay. Jordy I, was I, doing I something that. That, that allowed them to cross over. But, uh-huh. but now they can cross over pretty much at will, it seems. Yeah, so it seems. Um, Although I was really confused as far as, you know, does the probe that they launched at the end of that episode, that, that the two... For the two sides were fighting over. I mean, is it what causes you know some sort of link from their universe to this universe, and it it's what caused that space station to get engulfed by these? Things? I don't know. I or... thought that whole thing was confusing. Yeah, because I because I had the I had the impression that that probe was in our our dimension for a chunk of time gathering data. That's what right. I thought. Well, it's been at least two years as far as Star Trek time goes. Right. Because that was a sixth season episode, and this is a post-seventh <clears throat> season 
right. story. So did it make it possible for them to cross over more easily? I don't know. But it looked like a kind of a small device, but who knows? Right. Maybe. Right. So, yeah, that, that whole thing confused me. And, and where did the probe end up going even after they shot photon torpedoes into the rift <laughs> at the end of this issue? Right. Which I thought was like, how do you know that's not going to just destroy the whole universe? You well, know? <laughs> yeah, right. And I have similar, I mean, not quite that question. <laughs> but the whole question that you can shut down a... I mean, it, that gateway seemed to be less physical and more energy, more exotic particles, you know. Mm-hmm. So it, it it just reminded me of Deep Space Nine all the time when when they say, oh, I'm going to blow up a ship in the wormhole, or I'm going to I'm going to fire at the wormhole, and that's going to make the wormhole collapse. And it's like, it's it's, it's kind of like the same thing. It's kind of like a you know an energy phenomenon. You're going to blow it up. I don't know. It just doesn't really. Right sit well with me. I liked that there was an Andorian uh, second officer or ah. co- second in command on mm-hmm. the Hornet. I thought that was right. cool. Um, and then my last comment, and, and again, it's more of a confusion thing. How did Hagler die? I mean, she's kind of fighting with this guy. Right. And, and then isn't there like a, like a bright light or something around her abdomen and then all right. of a sudden she's got a hole in her? Does she have a hole in her? I mean, she's bleeding. Well, she's bleeding. But... Well, where's the, where's how's the hole gonna? I mean, how's the blood gonna come out if she doesn't have a hole in her? I don't know. I didn't understand. I mean, because I mean, is it a, that little hypo spray looking thing supposed to be some sort of gun that well, the, uh, the aliens holding? You know, it's funny because um, earlier, before she's really wounded, there is a scene where they're trying to get her to talk, and you can see her be thrown backwards, and in her abdomen. You could see her uniform being ripped apart like it's being hit by a bullet or something. But then oh, after yeah. that, after that, she's like, fine. She's still saying, I ain't going to tell you anything. So so she, obvious, So that's kind of weird, uh, especially since later in the comic, there's no hole at all. And then when she does get the... Uh, I thought she they killed another crew member. I thought they... That, that she, well, they I thought killed... that was her. No, I thought it was a different guy or that that mm. girl that's there on the. Actually, that that on page twelve, there's a girl in a um, Deep Space Nine Voyager uniform. But I thought oh, it was her okay, that cool. got shot. But she looks dark skinned, and whoever's hand that is that got shot is white. So maybe you're right. Maybe that was supposed to be her. Yeah, but good point about the sleeve because the sleeve is definitely uh, gold, and that is not her uniform. Yeah, so mystery person gets shot there on page 13, which I thought yeah. was one of the crew members. And then she – because she's talking pretty normal in the next balloon yeah, exactly. saying, That's what... you think that will make me talk? You can kill all of us, and I still won't give you what you want. Ah, good point. Okay, so that wasn't uh, the captain that got shot. But same thing. So she got shot by the weapon again, but this time at close range. Right. So I guess that, that is – what happened there on page yep. um, 17. So, we would have known, if properly interpreted, back on page 17, that the weapon is some kind of thing that could put a hole in you. Right. Yep. Yeah, because she's pretty bloody when she's uh, getting Riker's uniform all screwed up. <laughs> right. And then Riker's like sitting there going... No, but you saved everyone, but I don't know how I'm going to get this blood out of my uniform. <laughs> you think that's what he's thinking? I think that's what he – I think he said it. I mean, is it one of the balloons? No, maybe not. <laughs> how do I get this? <laughs> I hope the replicator can clean this. Because <sighs> I'm not married yet. Damn. I should have gone forward with Deanna more. <laughs> So that okay. he can have somebody to clean his clothes. <laughs> exactly. Okay. <laughs> Enough of that. All right. It's the last thing I have to say about it. It was an, it was right. an okay story. It was cool having those uh, Solanogen aliens back. Yeah. 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 All right. Anything else? Nothing. Nothing. All right. No- normally for uh, Expanded Universe on Next Generation weeks, we go over episodes, but this was after Generations and before first contact so there's nothing to cover Hmm. so we can just talk about uh, next episode 
Cool. All right, so next episode, uh, we're going to do Deep Space Nine, issues 28 through 30. Malibu Comics. Cool. All right, so with that, I guess we'll just uh, see you guys later. Yep. Until next time, everybody. See you on the review. Later. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music stories and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes or friend us on Facebook at first name stcomic. Second name, book review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.